Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Pastor Bob conducts personal interviews with Christian influencers from around the globe, helping Christian authors, recording artists, CEOs, entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, and yes, pastors and ministry leaders to get the word out about what they are doing to impact the world with the gospel. Our podcast has been rated in the top one half percent of all podcasts in the world by ListenNotes.com, so you know your message will be heard. Now, here is your host with today's interview, Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Kingdom Crossroads podcast today. We're so blessed that you are joining us. You know, almost the worst scenario any parent could ever go through is the loss of a child. Thankfully, I have not had to experience that, but my family has. My dad lost a, a, one of my brothers, but I know many, many other people who have also. There's always the self-imposed guilt of what could I have done differently and why did this happen? And this is especially so when whenever some type of addiction, drug, alcohol, or whatever is involved. My guest today has experienced this also, and I'll let him share the story. But Darrell Rogers came out the other side of the grief, ready to help others who may be going down the same path his son Chase went down. He's been helping parents who ask themselves these same questions. He's also ready to help parents who are going through the addiction stage and wanting to help their child. Dale has written a book about his son Chase titled A Life Half-Lived, published in 2015, but the information contained in this book is just as relevant today. Daryl Rogers is not only an author, but a family recovery coach and a conference speaker on this topic as well. Help me welcome to the program, Daryl Rogers. Daryl, it is a blessing to have you come on the program and talk about this sensitive subject with us today. I do appreciate it. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me here. I mean, the first question I always start with is this. Other than that brief information I just shared, can you tell us in your own words, who is Daryl Rogers? <laughs> uh, well, first of all, Carol Rogers is a Christian. So, you know, I, I was um, blessed to have wonderful parents who um, knew the Lord and um, from a very early age, uh, you know, got to see them walk their walk. And my, my father, um, yeah, he was, a, he was a Southern Baptist preacher. And I really considered that uh, the second, the, um, uh, one of the churches, it was the second church that he pastored after I was born. Actually, no, the third church that he pastored after I was born. I really considered that my home, that area is my home. He was there for 15 years and retired mm, from that amen. church. And um, just really good um, salt of the earth people and uh, a little farm community there that uh, it was in South Carolina. But um, um I have a background in aviation. I have an older brother. We're 18 years apart, and uh, he he flew helicopters in Vietnam. And then when he got back, he was a flight instructor on the civilian side eventually. And and uh, that's how I got interested in flying. And and uh, by the time I was uh, 18, uh, uh, had my commercial helicopter license, and 19 started um, uh, working as a as a co-pilot um, uh, on the court, you know, with a corporation that uh, had helicopter in uh, some airplanes. Cool. And so, uh, so that's kind of my background. Um, 
but then, uh, you know, my son, my son Chase died in a wreck in 2014 and, uh, that really changed everything for me. Yeah, I imagine. So let's go to that. Your son Chase was an athlete who was attending college on a football scholarship. What happened after he left home and started to attend college? Oh, so Chase, um, you know, it wasn't long after he arrived at college that he began to hang out with people who were abusing drugs and alcohol. Now, had he experimented prior to that? Um, I know that he experimented a little bit in his junior and senior year of high school. Um, but beyond that, I don't really know the full extent of the experimentation, but really that's when the wheels fell off. That's when, when, when he arrived at college, when he experienced more freedom than he had had previously. And he was going to college out of state, you know, away from mom and dad. And um, so pretty quickly uh, began to hang out with people who were abusing drugs and alcohol. And, you know, they say you become like the people you associate with. So, um, you know, I was sort of keeping up with him a little bit there and and uh, noticed what was going on. And when he came home um, for the Christmas break, his freshman year, he um, he was on academic probation. And I told him then, I said, Chase, you know, you don't have to go back to, if you don't want to go back to college. I said, you can, uh, uh, I can help you get into a community college, you know, learn a trade. Um, or you can join the military. There's just a lot of different things you could do. But um, anyway, he uh, he ended up uh, dropping out. He, he did go back, and he ended up dropping out in his uh, freshman year there in the second semester and came back home, immediately gravitated to an even rougher crowd here at home, and uh, was just staying out. You know, he'd be gone for days at a time, wouldn't know where he was, wasn't trying to work, wasn't trying to go to school or do anything to improve his situation. So, um, uh, at one point, um, you know, he had been gone for about three days and I hadn't heard anything from him. And my wife, Kim, one of her rules was, Hey, if you're going to live here at home, when you're gone, when you're gone, you need to give us some idea if you're gone, gone overnight, you know, when we can expect you back and some idea of where you are. And he wouldn't even you know, answer his phone or, you know, respond to text messages or anything. So he pulled that stunt one time and, and we had made the rules clear and he came home and had been gone for three days again. And I didn't, I wouldn't let him in because I felt like to let him in at that point would be to continue to enable his self-destructive behavior. And, um, I watched him ride off with his friends, not knowing when I would ever see him again. And that was tough. That was really tough um but uh, uh, go ahead did you have something no no okay okay i thought you might have had a question about that but he um he you know, i kept up with him online he was um he was losing weight rapidly you know i was just watching his social media post and losing weight rapidly um very pale, glassy-eyed. I would see pictures where, like, he was holed up in a hotel room with a bunch of friends. They're all strung out on drugs, you know. So I became alarmed, and I decided to have an intervention for him here in our home. I hired an interventionist to come in, and, um, you know, to, to begin with, Chase wasn't a very big kid. Um, and the, just now, he was just rail thin, you know, so... 
uh, I was very, very worried about him. And like I said, I had that intervention. And through the intervention, uh, we were able to get him into treatment in South Florida, um, in treatment for 30 days. And then he went into a halfway house, bounced around to several different halfway houses. He spent a total of about nine months in Florida and then came back home. Uh, was doing a lot better when he got back. But um, over over time, you know, he began to relapse. And when I say he was doing a lot better, um, he was staying away from the people who had been a bad influence before. He was he got a job. He was going to IOP, intensive outpatient care, two nights a week, like group therapy. And his friends, all of his good friends, you know, the people who were not part of the drug culture. Um, his family, we all felt like we had the old chase back, but, uh, over a period of time, over a period of months, I began to sense that he was slipping, you know, and I didn't know what to do about it. I didn't know anything about addiction at the time. And, um, finally he came to me one day and said, dad, um, I'm headed in a bad direction. And I said, I know chase. And he said, I don't know what to do, but I know I need to get away from these people that I'm hanging out with. So he told me that he had taken a job transfer to Florida back to the area where he'd been in treatment. He already had living arrangements made there. Told me when he was planning to leave. And I told my wife, Kim, well, Kim made Chase promise that he would come by and have a meal with us before leaving for Florida. The day came and he was supposed to come by and eat with us and he didn't show up. It was getting later in the afternoon. Yeah, it was May 29th, 2014. And we all moved to the living room. My wife, Kim, and, and I, and our, our younger son, Justin, who was in the eighth grade at the time, we're all sitting in the living room, just kind of talking a little bit, surfing our phones, watching TV. And I had a phone call from one of my friends. I didn't want to disturb Kim and Justin with my phone conversation, so I went outside. It was nice weather out. And I'm standing outside, um, talking on my cell phone to my friend, and a, a police cruiser pulled up to the curb in front of our house. And I saw the officer get out of his car and started up my driveway. And I told my friend, I got to go. Apparently, Chase is in some kind of trouble. So I met that officer in a driveway. And that's where he told me, uh, Mr. Rogers has been a bad wreck out on I-40. And your son, Chase, died at the scene. Um, of course, yeah. you know, we we moved inside. And, and um, you know, the, the officer went in with me. And um, I told Kim and and Justin, and we all cried for a long time. And then we started to ask the officer questions about what had happened. And um, he didn't have a lot of answers that day. Um, right, he, right. We we did find out that that uh, they had been to a, a park um, near our home. Now, this was a, a rumor. And that they had all smoked marijuana there in the park together. Um, well, actually, uh, th- that part of it uh, is, is, on the, is in the police r- report. Um, apparently there'd been a going away party the night before and they all felt hung over the next morning. So they felt like they'd go to the park and, you know, smoke marijuana to help cope with the nausea. But then they all got into his car and, um, they, um, they left the park. Uh, he let an 18 year old girl drive his car, a girl he had dated at one time. Another kid was in the back seat. Um, they, they made a quick stop for a bite to eat, headed out on I 40 rush hour traffic. Only went a couple of miles, and she lost control of his car in a curve and uh, left the road, hit a tree, um, and uh, he died at the scene. Now, when all of this happened, you shared before that 
you really did not know the proper role for parenting mm. in the situation you were facing with Chase and, and you know that you think you may have actually been an enabling Chase during yeah. his recovery that may have led to the relapse. Can you explain that for us? Yeah. Uh, so I would say that or to start with, I would say that the intervention was one of the better <laughs> decisions that I made um, to get him into treatment. It worked really well. But, um, you know, when he came back from treatment, uh, I should have never let him move back in with us. I think that was a mistake. Um, really? Yeah, and, and that that's hard because, you know, you're thinking about um, at the time he was 19 years old and he couldn't sustain himself. He wasn't ready for that, you know, but... Um, you know, move, letting allowing him to move back in, I think, uh, just wasn't a good dynamic. And I, and I, I recommend it, it. It just depends on the situation. It's all situational. But for most parents, I would say once a child, if they're over eighteen, once they go to treatment, it's really not a good idea for them to move back in at home because it it is there is a tendency for parents to enable, and and basically enabling is just doing things for them that they could be and should be doing for themselves as an adult. So um, um, more than anything, I think, um, you know, when he was younger, uh, Chase was really easygoing, laid back, uh, quiet. And so he would kind of go along to get along. So if dad was nudging him to go in a certain direction, you know, he wouldn't put up a fuss about it at all. He would just go along with things. But I didn't realize that sometimes he didn't want to do some of the things that I wanted him to do, you know. And uh, um, uh, our younger, I mean, yeah, our younger son, he's uh, totally different and a different type <laughs> personality. And he'll let you know if he doesn't want to do something. So uh, I, I did learn from that experience to, to uh, back off of him. And I don't give advice unless unless he asks for it. And sometimes that's tough because sometimes like I see him doing something I know is, you know, he's making a mistake here and he's actually, he's a pretty smart kid and, and has a lot of wisdom too. So he, you know, he's grown up a lot in the last few years and I don't, I don't see him making a lot of mistakes here. There's some things I think, mm, okay. You know, I, I wish you would talk to me about that, but I don't, I yeah. keep my mouth shut. <laughs> Amen. And uh, he, he asked me, he reaches out to me. So that, that, that relationship kind of flipped where he's asking me for advice now. And that's always a much better dynamic than kids don't like to be preached to or talked to um, particularly when they're over 18, but even before that, as they're, as they're entering the teenage years, they want to be treated like they're an adult. Um, and uh, so um when we when we lecture them or we treat them like they're not an adult, they're sometimes that builds up some resentment there. Yeah, yeah um, that's true. And, and unfortunately, that's just the the. I mean, my kids are in their forties, and sometimes that's still, you know, look, oh, this yeah. is what you need to do. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I've learned. I've gotten a lot better at fighting that urge now. You know, to to say things and um really uh to bridle my tongue <laughs> that's hard <laughs> in those situations it is hard yeah. um it is. particularly because we don't like to see our children 
make mistakes when we know there are going to be consequences for the mistakes. And sometimes the consequences can be pretty serious. So, yeah. um, uh, but parents tend to, um, tend to enable and rescue and, uh, because we don't want to see them suffer those consequences. And, uh, it's not a good thing to do because they, it's better to let them learn by and 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 that's how we all learn is by making mistakes. We don't learn from the from the, our successes nearly as much right. as we do from the mistakes that we make. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, you know, that, that that's one of my mantras. You know, everything I've learned is because I've made mistakes, not to do it again. You know, sometimes it's more important to know what not to do than right. it is what to do. You know. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So, other than that immediate shock and grief. Did you feel like you let Chase down? I mean, what were your your thoughts and actions during that time? Mm, yeah, um, a lot of different, a lot of different thoughts going on. You know, um, uh, I did feel like I let him down. I was I was angry with, with myself. Um, I was angry with him. You know, in the beginning, in the beginning, right in the early, very early stages, I didn't have a lot of uh, anger. I didn't, it was just, um, I really had a lot of thoughts about how can I help other people avoid this? And, and I didn't know anything about addiction because I'd never experienced any of that in my family. So it just totally caught me off guard. And I was, you know, reaching out, trying to other people and trying to learn and and um, really took some unusual uh, paths there in the learning process, but uh, um, I definitely got immersed into it and 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 started figuring things out somewhat the hard way. But um, yeah, uh, <laughs> That's um, usually way it goes. <laughs> yeah, uh, I had uh, actually um, reached out or, or or had connected with some other kids who were part of that. Uh, kind of running those same circles and and uh, ended up um, paying for one kid to go to sending him to treatment basically and and trying to get him help. But I didn't realize I was doing things wrong really in in that whole situation as well. Mm. Um, you know, so that- I, I, I made mistakes. I did things that uh, that probably um, that could have been it could have set him back. Too, you oh, know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that you said that this led to you immersing yourself mm-hmm. in study, everything that you could find about substance mm-hmm. abuse disorders, things like that. And what did you learn that you did wrong and should have done differently? What are some of those? Yeah. Things? Well, I think, you know, if I had to go way, way back, you know, if I went way back, I would say, um, you know, I wish I had let Chase make more of his own decisions, make more mistakes along the way. Um, and and learn from some of those mistakes, particularly as, as he was entering his his teenage years. Um, he became an Eagle Scout. Both of my boys became Eagle Scouts, Amen. but I felt like I dragged Chase across the finish line. You know, I should have let I should have just left that alone and, and let him and let him fail. You know, honestly, I don't know if he would have learned anything from that or not. But uh, that's just one example. You know, um, really. Um, uh, by a lot of standards, I think a lot of people would look at 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 how I raised my boys and say, "Oh, he was a good dad," because I was involved with them. I was doing things with them, and uh, but in some respects, I may have been a little bit too involved and a little bit, you know, um, 
I needed, I, I think I needed a, to be a little bit, give them a little bit more uh, freedom to make mistakes and then, and then set up a, um, I was very, uh, a strict and stern coming from the military background, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I think that, um, uh, one thing, one thing that would happen is they would, they would go to their mother, you know, and, and if they had an issue, they would go to her instead of, and then she would tell me, and I wish I had kind of set up a dynamic where they had felt more comfortable, both of them coming to me directly to me to talk to me and saying, Hey dad, you know, and of course, like I said, I got that relationship now with our younger son, but, but I think what happened with Chase kind of led to that, uh, becoming a better relationship because I learned. Um, that's a hard way to learn, you know, but, um, uh, those are some of the mistakes that I made for sure that, that things that I, I could have done better. Now, once, once, once you once you know that your child is using drugs, um, one thing I tell parents is if, if, if they haven't experienced this yet and their children are in their teenage years and they find out their child is experimenting with drugs or alcohol, don't, don't freak out. <laughs> in other words, um, uh, is it, you know, if you feel like you're going to just, you know, take some time to get away and cool down a little bit and come back and have a rational discussion because if you blow up at them, they're just going to put up a wall and, uh, that's, you do not want that to happen. Yeah. Um, you yeah. want, you want to have, be able to have a calm, rational discussion. Uh, tell us about the book you wrote in 2015 about Chase, a life half lived. Was this a sort of therapy for you or a tribute to your son what was the purpose of the book uh, it was it was therapy for me but it was both it was a tribute to him and it was therapy for me and because i talk about all of the positive attributes about him and the, the first part of the book is really about his childhood and um talking trying to um trying to get the reader to understand who he was as a person you know i used to really um, be very judgmental towards people who had um, uh, substance use disorder, drug or alcohol addiction, because I didn't understand. Um, and as I've gotten to understand it better now, I, I see that a lot of times, you know, in, in most situations, people have some type of an underlying issue. Now, aside from the whole ADD, ADHD thing, which is seems to always be, not always, but in there's some type of a correlation there. I'll just say there's some type of a correlation there. But um, aside from that, um, you know, people seem to have um, uh, people with with that are struggling with addictions seem to have uh, underlying problems, um, uh, psychological issues that they're dealing with, and the the drugs or alcohol are a coping mechanism for them. And it's not a healthy coping mechanism, but, um, you know, it, it's a coping mechanism. They have something going on that they're, they're, they're struggling with. And so, um, I've, I've learned to, um, you know, the Bible says all, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So this yeah. is just another, everybody has issues. Everybody has mm -hmm. problems. This is just a different problem that people have. And so, uh, in in writing the book, I wanted people to see Chase was not some scumbag. You know, he was a regular person who, you know, he wasn't a a drug addict growing up. He was a great kid growing up. He wasn't a troubled kid at all. And uh, this can happen to 
to families. Uh, you know, it does it crosses all socioeconomic yeah. boundaries, and and you could be a Christian, you could be a churchgoer, you could be in church every day of your life, raise your kids in in church, and still these kind of issues can happen. So, um, you know, I wanted people to see that that side of him. But yeah, you know, I did, I did touch on that a little bit earlier that I, I was, I was struggling with the anger side of the grief at one point. Oh yeah. And, and that came out in the book. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I really let some people have it in the book, you know, and, and, um, um, but for whatever reason, um, that book has struck a chord with a lot of people. Now I made the, I made the, um, uh, audio ver—I mean the not audio version, the uh, the Kindle version, the digital version of it, free for people to download, mm. and uh, it has had a ton of downloads. And I've had people from all across the world reach out to me, um, mm. people who have uh, had a child in addiction or lost a child to um, to drug abuse, um, and I've made some friendships with people I would have never met any other yeah. way. So. Yeah. Um, Amen. God had me write the book the way I wrote it for a reason. I guess is what right. I'm what I'm getting at. Yeah, Amen. And and that anger issue. I mean, that you know, was there seven stages of grief that you got to work through and 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 all that. So I mean, you know, uh, one thing I've discovered about that. Well, a couple of things about grief. Um, not everybody goes through all those stages, and um, we we don't all go through them in the same order necessarily. Right. right. And um, you know, for me, the anger was the biggest issue I dealt with um, uh, for a period of time. I never really went through the depression and and some of the other things that some people struggle with. Um, I never was angry at God. I will say that, you know, and I, and I think that's because I had did have a solid foundation there, you know, from yeah. from my youth. And um, just just, you know, a lot of my anger was directed at the people early on at the people who I felt like were a, a bad influence on Chase. Um, the other people that in the circles that he was running in who were using drugs um, and and the driver of the car. And I didn't tell this part of the story yet, but she she ended up taking her own life uh, seven months after the wreck. Um, so, um, you know, it's just. There was this whole ripple effect from yeah. the from the choices that they made that day that uh, just it left a lot of people devastated, you know, families and friends. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, the thing the one of the messages I think I would would like to put out there for people that are struggling with a, a drug addiction or alcohol addiction or really any kind of an addiction is to to go and um don't let the don't let the shame and the stigma keep you from getting the help that you need amen you know yeah, amen. be be willing to put it out there yeah you you know it's just it's kind of like kind of like love you know when when you when you when you reach out you know if you're talking about two young people in love you, you know when when a guy uh, says uh, uh, when he when he lets the young lady know that he's interested in her, he's he's putting him he's putting himself out there, right? He's, yeah. he's putting setting himself up for rejection. Yeah. And I get it that when you come forward and say, "Hey, I got a drug problem," you know, 
some people may may uh, view you differently. And I would just say, don't let that stop you. Just everybody has issues and don't worry about how other people see you or how other people judge you because God loves you. And, and, um, you know, the main thing is that you get the help that you need. Yeah. Hey, folks, Pastor Bob here. We're all out of time with this portion of the interview with Daryl Rogers. Now, I'm telling you, you need to drop down the show notes, click the link, order this book, A Life Half Lived, and get in touch with Daryl. Drop over to his website, The Family Recovery Coach. He has a lot of information on there about how he has turned this tragedy of losing his son into helping other people. And, folks, this is just an awesome work that he is doing. I can't I can't recommend him any more than saying drop down the show notes and get in touch with him. And be sure to come back for the next portion of the interview because we are going to continue this interview in the next session. Till then, this passed by Ramaya. Be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Kingdom Crossroads Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast so you can be notified when another episode is published. With over 800 interviews and 1,000 published episodes, Pastor Bob is known as a podcasting expert for helping others to create their own podcast to share their messages with the world. Please visit our website at www.podcastersforchrist.com. That web address again is www.podcastersforchrist.com for more information. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do. Are you a Christian entrepreneur, coach, or author with a message that needs to be heard? Picture this, your voice reaching thousands, your story inspiring hearts, and your business flourishing like never before. Introducing Faithcasters, the ultimate platform that connects faith-driven professionals like you with the power of podcasting. Become a sought-after guest on Faith-Based Podcast. Share your unique insights and connect with like-minded individuals who share your passion for faith and entrepreneurship as well. Imagine your expertise reaching a wider audience, expanding your network, and propelling your business to new heights. Well, it's all within reach with Faithcasters. So don't wait. Take the first step today on your journey to greatness by visiting our website at faithcaster.org. That's faithcaster.org. Join the Faithcasters community now and unleash the full potential of your faith-driven enterprise. You do not want to miss this opportunity. Faithcasters, where faith meets podcasting and your dreams become reality. Visit faithcaster.org. Let's soar together. And remember, anyone can be a podcaster, but only a Christian can become a faithcaster. Faithcasters, your voice, your platform, your success.